Hi there and welcome to The Brave, a podcast all about resilience and dealing with the challenges and complexity of life in the 21st century. Episode to episode, we uncover what it takes to be adaptable and robust in this age of constant change and upheaval. Now, before we dive into this week's episode with an extra special guest who I am absolutely thrilled to be interviewing, to be perfectly honest, and I asked a lot of questions for my own benefit, which hopefully you find super interesting too, I just wanted to remind you about all the ways you can connect with us online. You can find us on Twitter at The Brave Listen, we're on Instagram, on LinkedIn, and we also have a newsletter which I write every week and it basically shares my thoughts around how we can deal with the future, the uncertainty we're all facing and all of that kind of fun and hopefully interesting stuff. Now this week I've been chatting to Darren Murph who is a head of remote at GitLab and we have a fascinating conversation about, well, the remote work situation we've all been finding ourselves in. I think I've been doing it now for a hundred days. It's been interesting. There's been some highs and there's been some lows, but we'll dive into the interview with Darren because he has so much to share. Yeah. Hey, so I'm Darren Murph. I'm the head of remote at GitLab. GitLab is the world's largest all remote company. We have over 1300 employees in 67 countries with no company-owned offices. I've spent my entire career across the spectrum of remotes over 15 years now in co-located spaces, hybrid spaces, and now at an all-remote company. And uh, it's an exciting time to be in the remote community with tens of millions of people going remote. Uh, There is a lot of interest in how to do this well, and I'm happy to be talking about it with you. Thanks so much, Darren, for coming on the show. So I think, yes, remote has become an interesting experience for a lot of people and I think under normal circumstances maybe a transition to remote would have been potentially better I mean I went remote overnight on the 16th of March and that was yeah it was it was interesting it's not without challenges but what in your kind of experience because I know you've been speaking to a lot of companies about moving to remote what's been the biggest hurdles companies have faced with this transition? Two hurdles come to mind one is steeped in culture and the other is steeped in workflow. So I'll tackle the culture bit first. You have to have a lot more trust in a remote setting than you would in a co-located setting. The further your team is from you, the more you have to be willing to let go, which feels very paradoxical. The natural inclination for many co-located managers when a team goes remote is to check in more. The issue with that is it feels even more like intense micromanagement when you're doing that in a remote setting. Because now you're checking in more, but the people you're checking in with are in their homes. And frankly, directions feel different when they're given to someone in their home than if they're in a neutral setting like an office building. Newly remote managers don't really understand this or know this or appreciate this. But it just feels very different. Imagine if you got a phone call and you were in the office and someone needed you to do something. You're in a neutral setting. There's just this natural calm. But if you're at home and someone tells you to do something, well, you're in your home. So you take orders a little bit differently if you're in your home. And this is very subtle, but there's a lot that goes into it. So the cultural challenge is very real. A lot of managers want to be able to visibly see that things are happening, although in reality, this has very little to do with tracking productivity. So wrapping their mind around it's okay to not be able to see is is a big challenge. On the workflow side, 
The biggest challenge is embracing asynchronous. So I've written at GitLab about the phases of remote adaptation, and most companies right now are in phase one, which is skeuomorphism. They're trying to copy the office environment and paste it into the virtual environment, which is not an optimal way to go. Instead, they should really question, are these recurring meetings necessary? All the meetings that I have scheduled, can any of them be done asynchronously? Do we have an asynchronous tool? So this is where the tool comes into play. At GitLab, we use GitLab the product to do all of our collaboration across the entire company. And it's built for asynchronous. It's built for issues and merge requests to be created. People can write down their thoughts. They can tag relevant people. People can contribute whenever they wake up across time zones, across oceans. We do everything we can to minimize meetings and maximize asynchronous workflows. A lot of companies right now are caught up in crisis. And so thinking about moving forward and being more asynchronous is definitely on the back burner and they struggle with that. So what's happening is, is they run into Zoom fatigue, 18 consecutive Zoom calls trying to get work done, and they wonder why they don't like remote work. But it's because they're not doing it in the most optimal way. I do think companies that stick with it will figure it out, but by far, those are the two biggest hurdles that people are dealing with right now. Yeah, that really resonates with me, the Zoom fatigue thing. And um, I think we've, we've spoken about this before, but actually moving to phone calls, you know, traditional phone calls, again, that's been a really big help. And I guess just, just going back to the culture point, because this is something I know at work we're thinking about a lot. And how do you kind of bring people together and, and create a sense of togetherness? Do you have any tips for companies on, I guess, how what does culture mean in a remote setting and how can they bring people together? Yeah, I think there's actually two questions there. What does culture mean in a remote setting? I've been advising leaders that in a remote setting, the culture is equal to the values. And what I mean by that is in a co-located space, it's really easy for culture to be defined by the color of the paint on the wall or maybe the music that's playing in the room or perhaps what neighborhood a headquarters is located in or the loudest voice in the room. All of these things define the energy and the vibe and that ends up being called the culture. Well, now suddenly in a remote setting, you have none of those attributes. So what is culture? At GitLab, we figured out early on that culture couldn't be defined by any of that, nor should it be. And so we allowed culture to be defined by our values. If you look at the GitLab values page, you'll find six core values and then thousands of words underneath. These are called sub-values. It's how we live each of these values. If you read all of those, at the end of it, you'll say okay, I understand the culture. This is how people treat each other. This is how people treat colleagues, prospective clients, existing clients, and really how you treat people. That's the culture. And for many companies, they don't have the values written down, or if they do, they're kind of words on a wall. They're just kind of there. How actively are they lived? And for a lot of companies, there's this big introspective moment on we need to live our values more or we need to define our values more so that our culture is strong because we don't have those things we used to have to define our culture. Um, In terms of connecting people, informal communication is a big deal. And in a remote setting, you have to be very intentional about it. And here's what I want you to consider. If you think back to a co-located space, an office that you're used to going into, chances are there's a lobby. And in that lobby, there's probably a coffee machine or a kitchen, refrigerator. There are some objects there. This didn't happen by accident. Lobbies don't just come with the building plans. Lobbies are planned. Lobbies are built intentionally so that they can serve as a gathering place for people, 
so that people can converse and build relationships in them. So whoever engineered your office did so to create the informal communication atmosphere. Now, the funny thing is we take this for granted. We just walk into a lobby, and then when we don't have the lobby, we think, well, how do we build relationships? But you have to dial it all the way back. that Someone was intentional about the physical building of the atmosphere, so you have to do the exact same thing in the virtual world. For us, that's things like talent shows where we'll get people on a Zoom call and people can showcase talents. We'll have judges and prizes, some healthy competition. Uh, We do virtual scavenger hunts. We do coffee chats where people can just grab 20 minutes with anyone to talk about anything. And recently, we've actually uh, invented this thing called the juice box chat where parents can grab time with other parents, open up their Zoom camera, and let their kids share songs and dance and toys with each other. We're all in global isolation, but turns out if you're innovative with it, kids can have cultural exploration across oceans, which I don't think they would get back in the classroom. But it comes down to being intentional about it. You have to assign this duty to a team within your company. Otherwise, it's never going to happen. Yeah, and I think that that's the thing I've taken away from remote work is actually it forces you to be a lot more intentional about the way you work and the way you interact with other people. Because as you say, things aren't happening by accident. And I'm really interested to kind of dig into, I guess, people do have families at the moment. They're working at home, delivering childcare and especially in the UK, we're not too sure when schools are going to open. Do you see in the future there'll be a lot more blending and work, I guess, and and childcare, and is that positive? I do. I think greater flexibility will be one of the core takeaways from this, as well as a humanizing of work. Now that we're able to peer into the homes of everyone, I actually spoke with someone earlier today, and they don't have children, and she said, this experience over the past few months has made me more empathetic to other people because I can see the things that are happening in their life. And I can see that having children at home or another significant other at home, it adds complications to the day that I didn't fully understand or appreciate. And now I'm adjusting my expectations of other humans and I'm leaning in with more positive intent than I otherwise would Because I can see things now. I'm learning. I'm understanding. Instead of just assuming certain things because my life doesn't look like someone else's life, just being able to have exposure to that makes me more empathetic. That's really, really important. I think for a lot of working parents and caregivers, for years they've just shouldered the extra burden because they don't know how to say to their colleagues in the office, hey, cut me some slack. I need a break. I have a lot going on in life without sounding like it's an excuse. Yeah. The world of Zoom has enabled other people to see it. So you don't even have to verbalize it. Everyone can see that this is happening. I was on a consultation earlier this week with 100 senior leaders and executives. And as soon as the moderator passed the baton over to me to start my presentation, a dinosaur level raptor shriek came from downstairs. My 18-month-old son is teething and was having a really rough morning. And 100 people uh, met my son's high-pitched voice. But it, it, you know, I leaned into it. I said, that's exactly what I'm here to talk about. Life happens. Everything's okay. My wife's down there. He's teething. Uh, he's just having a rough morning. And uh, in the follow-up, I actually sent photos of him smiling and said, I assure you that 99% of the time, he's the happiest kid in the world. And I want everyone to see this. 
but yes, I do think there will be a blending and I think it will be on companies to be more empathetic to what that looks like is the future of the people group. You're going to have to consider remote perks or remote things to make remote more inclusive and yeah. What does childcare look like in the future is definitely one of those. And I think that's a huge win uh, because it should have been done pre-COVID, but we've just sort of let it go. And now I, I appreciate that it, we, we can't let it go like that anymore. Yeah. And I suppose, I, I don't suppose you read Ask a Manager, the um, it, the blog. I actually do. I love that. I love that. I haven't read it as much lately. I've been a bit busy, but I do love that. Yeah, it's a great um, for anyone listening. It's a just it's run by Alison Green, and basically people write in with their work problems, and she answers them. And she's very good in the way she answers them, very knowledgeable. But she's had a number of letters recently from people saying that my employer is just not understanding of the situation. You know, they expect the same productivity, even though I've got aged parents to look after children. They expect me to work in exactly the same way I used to work. Do you have any advice for anyone who's in that situation? For I guess persuading their employer that they need to be more flexible. Yeah, these these scenarios, they bother me so much. Uh, I was on a call earlier this week, and very similarly, there was a gentleman there who works for a government institution, and they've all been working remotely for the past three months, and actually productivity is up. And he said they just got an email from one of the executives and said, hey, don't get too used to this. As soon as the offices open back up, we're pulling everyone in, full stop. And it's just baffling because to some degree, what I want to say is you have to know what battles you can win. And for some people, it may be a situation where you could spend the next six months trying to lobby for the obvious and get nowhere, or you could spend the next six months polishing up your resume, doing outreach, making connections, and looking for a better cultural fit for you. I actually think there's going to be a lot of natural attrition that comes from this because companies will show their true colors. There will be some that say, we are rigid. This is what we want. And we want people to join our company that want to come in every day and want to operate in this very specific way. I don't know whether that's necessarily good or bad, but I look at GitLab. We're all remote. We're not going to put people in an office. It's just not going to happen. And people opt into this way of working. And I really appreciate that people come here because they know it resonates with them and they know it will be a fit for their lifestyle. So perhaps this is good that companies show their true colors and people can reevaluate if they're working for one that really matches up with them. But I have seen it be successful where people put together a PowerPoint or put together metrics. They start tracking things week over week, month over month for in-office versus at home, and they essentially use data to show this is why I can justify working outside of the office. I've actually had that be effective for me in a past life um, when remote wasn't nearly the commonly accepted thing that it is now. The one thing I'll caution there is if you have to go to such lengths to convince or persuade your manager to let you work remotely, you can be sure that they will never fully, fully support it. They may allow it, but you cannot expect the same level of support. And this goes for just day-to-day work, day-to-day expectations, Mm -hmm. but definitely future promotions, future career growth. You cannot possibly expect the same level of support out of the office versus in, because for people in that mindset, they think that allowing you to work remotely is perk enough. 
you shouldn't expect the same level of praise. You shouldn't expect, expect the same level of promotion because, hey, you don't have to commute every day like the rest of us. People view that reality in different ways. For many, many years, I was totally okay with that because I would much rather be where I was with my family. I enjoyed those perks and I was okay with the downsides. Now, coming out of COVID, I think the expectations are going to be a little bit different. I don't think remoters are going to be as willing to put up with that as they have been in the past. And I, I think that's great. This greatly democratizes the conversation around remote. I was talking with an HR leader and I said, here's one big, big change that's going to come from this. In past years, remote was really a perk for senior leaders. You would apply for a role in a very big city, New York, San Francisco, London, Singapore. You would get some way through the interview process. And at some point you would say, listen, this is going to work. I can do the role you need me to do. I'm a great cultural fit but I don't really want to relocate. Can we compromise? What does that look like? And all of the remote roles were figured out on a one-by-one, case-by-case basis. Now, anyone in the world can go into a job interview in the screener call and ask the person, what is your workplace stance on flexibility? And they can reasonably expect an answer to that. That one change coming out of COVID will massively change the conversation forever, which will lead to a whole bunch of other things. And it's great that we're talking about this. Because remote isn't some elitist perk. Flexibility should be a right if your job is digital and your outputs are digital. If you can do your job on the internet, it should be an option. And management shouldn't say, well, I'm too busy to learn how to operate a, <laughs> a remote team, so I'm just going to not do it. I don't think we have that excuse anymore. Yeah, definitely. That's really interesting because um, as, a, as a hiring manager, actually this week in interviews, I have been asked that question by pretty much every candidate. And, you know, they're, they're concerned actually about what, how do you handle remote? Like what policies have you put in place? What does onboarding look like? And I was really interested because obviously head of remote, it's an unusual job title that you must get asked about a lot. Um, what, I don't want to sound so blunt, but what do you do? It's a great question. I'm glad people are asking it. It is a rare role. I think in five years, it will be far more common. It's the most cross-functional role in the entire company. I work with our people group to make sure people onboard well and they acclimate to working well in an all-remote setting. It is very jarring and different for a lot of people. And so even if they think they know they want this, embracing the GitLab way of iteration and shipping things before they're fully polished and prioritizing asynchronous over meetings. All of this takes reinforcement uh, and, and iteration, frankly, to get right. I also work on the marketing side and telling this story to the world. A lot of the media understands that GitLab is a great DevOps tool, but far fewer know that we're pioneering the future of work. And this is a really, really important story for us to tell, and it becomes a, a piece of our brand pillar. And the third thing is I work closely with learning and development. Managerial training is really important. We want to make sure people have the tools necessary to do this. The playbook for it is still being written. And I'm responsible for creating a lot of the educational material for how we do it, which is very important because it's in the GitLab handbook, which means it's open sourced and available to the world. So not only are our internal people reading it, but millions of people at thousands of companies around the world, especially during COVID, I've lost count of the companies that have said, hey, we, we're just using the GitLab playbook to build our remote transition. And that is incredibly humbling and incredibly powerful. And I, the, the thing I've been asked is, um, is this going to become something that's 
more prevalent? And I think the short answer is yes. Facebook already has a job posting out for a director of remote work. Uh, it's going to be a challenge there because they're a fundamentally hybrid remote company. So this person will have to help manage two different employee experiences. That is a tall task. I hope they are very successful at it because they need to show the way for other hybrid remote companies the way that GitLab has shown the way for all remote companies. And I dial back a few years and I remember there was a time when diversity, inclusion, and belonging was just a single line item on the job description of a chief people officer or a chief HR officer. Do you remember those days? And at some point, at some point, society said, no, no, this is... This is too important to be a single line item on someone's job description. And this is why we have chief diversity officers now. This is why we have entire teams and companies that look after this and put intentionality behind it. Because if you don't have a team creating that atmosphere, it probably won't happen. And remote is the same way. This is a fundamentally different way of working. It re-architects your entire organization. You have to think about IT differently. You have to think about legal differently. You have to think about access differently. You have to think about perks and inclusivity and workspaces. All of this is different. And your remote has to have a seat at the table for all executive decisions because you have a fundamentally new subset of people to take into consideration. And that's why I think for companies that just try to tack it on as a line item in the chief operations officer or chief people officer, they're going to quickly realize that this is a full-time job at least of one person, mm-hmm. potentially a team. And I would say for those that are listening to this, looking for newly remote companies to jump into because you want that autonomy, freedom, and flexibility, apply first for the companies that are investing in this because they will treat you better once you get there. It's just obvious. If there's not a team devoted to it, you can't expect a lot of support. Similarly, if you are in a minority, you're a person of color, and you want to work at a company that's going to support that, Chances are, if you find one with a chief diversity officer or a team built around that, they will treat you better. It's pretty yeah, simple. Definitely. And remote is going to be the same same type of situation. Yeah. And I'm really intrigued because obviously you have been speaking with so many companies who are using GitLab's handbook. I'm going to admit that I have stolen bits from it already. <laughs> but I think there is a concern that a lot of remote is is a tech perk and it's just tech companies. I mean, everyone at the moment is obviously looking at this, but it's just tech companies who, are, who like Stripe has said, everyone can be remote. Are you speaking to companies outside of tech who, who are considering going full remote for the future? Yeah, Absolutely. Any company that isn't thinking about remote right now, uh, well, let me rephrase that. I think every company is thinking about remote right now because everyone is in cost-saving mode and real estate's really expensive and administering all of that is really expensive. And getting rid of real estate is an immediate way to save a lot of money without impacting human beings. So it makes a lot of sense. And so even from a value standpoint and a de-risking standpoint, every company is thinking about this. It gets more complicated when your company has some physical component to it. If you're an automotive garage or you make vehicles, there will be some part of your business that people need to show up to a warehouse and physically touch things and do things with their hands. But that doesn't mean that the finance arm, the HR arm, the legal arm, all of those components can be done remotely. And so the conversations that are happening are, okay, what does our physical component look like? 
And then what do we need to put in place to enable the rest of the company to do what they do from anywhere? That is a paradigm shift. It used to be very black and white. It used to be very Mm. binary where if you had any physical component, any manufacturing component, you would often hear, well, these jobs can't be done remotely. Our company can't work remotely. But now we're siloing that a bit more where they may say, well, this part of our company can't work remotely, but for everyone else, we think we can pull this off. Yeah. So yeah, that's really interesting. And I think that that kind of fits in with conversations I'm having with friends who work at non-tech companies and this idea that actually it's quite empowering what's happening at the moment. But I I wanted to ask you, because you've got such a vast experience of working remotely and I know kind of mental health is a real concern for a lot of people at the moment. Do you have any kind of tips from your personal experience about protecting your mental health and protecting against burnout? That's another thing we're hearing a lot about. Yeah, this is uh, kind of an underlying creeping crisis. And here's why. Generally speaking, remoters work harder than co-located counterparts because they feel guilty about it. And this kind of goes back to what I was mentioning earlier, where for many, many years, remote has been seen as this perk that you should feel special if you get it and don't ever question anything else because we can pull it out from under you at any moment and you're going to have to relocate and resume the commute and it would completely wreck your life. So companies that enabled remote or allowed remote had this incredible amount of power over those that were remote. And so because of that, many remoters worked really hard. They would actually work through the commute that they earned back because they think, well, all of my other colleagues are commuting. I feel like I need to put in a couple of extra hours of work a day to kind of quote unquote make up for it. So couple that feeling with the reality that tens of millions of people around the world are losing jobs right now. So everyone that has one is doing everything they can to hang on to it. And you have this recipe for disaster. Because people are home, they have nothing else to do, they're quarantined, they can't even go out for dinner or drinks, they're home all the time, the laptop is always there, and frankly, for some, work is an escape from other things that are happening, which further compounds the issue. So the burnout risk is really real, and for suddenly remote managers, you should be checking in on -on one-on-ones by starting a one-on-one with a topic called life. Please ask how they're doing before you start talking about work because you're gonna need your team to be highly functional for a long time. This is a long-term thing, and the impacts of isolation and quarantine themselves haven't even been fully researched and fully studied. We're still living this out. The best tips I have for avoiding it are for those that are used to a commute, put a calendar block on the front of your day and the back of your day where your commute used to be and replace it with something intentional, whether that's meditating, praying, resting, reading, cooking, cleaning, spending time with your family, whatever. But make it something that dings you to remind you to ramp into your day and ramp out of your day and don't ignore it. If you have to hit seven alarms to do it, do it. Because nothing will stop you from just answering quote unquote one more email if you don't stop yourself. And you got to take this um, into your own hands. And for remote leaders, I would say, make sure that your teams are doing this and do it yourself because people are going to follow as they're led. There's no silver bullet to avoiding burnout other than putting guardrails up, even if they feel uncomfortable. It's really, really yeah, important. Definitely. That was one of the things I actually stole from the GitLab handbook is um, asking and really meaning it how are you 
And I think it's a really meaning it because I know people often like, oh, hey, how are you? And someone's like, yeah, fine. And then, yeah, fine. And then you move on. But it's actually being like, no, like, how are you? Tell me about what's going on in your life. I want to hear it. Yeah. And it's always been true that everyone is fighting a battle that you know nothing about. That has always been true. But now more than ever, it might be many battles and we need to be vulnerable about that. We need to be transparent about that. And I've seen companies actually push off performance reviews because they don't want people thinking about that right now. Like just showing up is performing right now. Like the bar has changed and it's, it's worth saying it out loud. It's worth recognizing it. We're here for the long haul. And, um, you know, even at GitLab, we saw productivity go up. And so we implemented a family and friends day to force a couple of Fridays off for long weekends because we knew that people weren't as well, yet productivity went up. Therefore, we need to do something as a company to reinforce, please put your family and friends first. So here, take some time off. No one's working. No one's sending email. And, um, it's kind of Spartan, but it worked. And we actually created a Slack channel dedicated to that where we invited people to post photos of things they did during that time that wasn't work. And there's yeah. this amazing feed of photos of people just enjoying time outside, enjoying time with their family, reading together, playing together, singing together. And it's this amazing breath of fresh air. This is exactly what we needed. And any company can do this. It costs zero dollars to create that Slack channel and invite people to post those photos. So if you're in a similar boat as a leader, that's an easy way to get started. Yeah, I'm loving pet pictures at work at the moment. That's what we're doing. And I'm just living for everyone's dogs and cats. Yes, and yeah. Like <laughs> we actually started a daily gratitude channel as well where we try to um, just put out quick shouts of gratitude and you see those coming in around the world each day, and it's uh, really encouraging. It's a simple thing, but um, gratitude yeah. goes a long way in refocusing the mind. Yeah, and it's using technology as well. That's what I love, you know, using things like Slack for human connection, because we think technology is very personal, but actually it's the way you use it that counts. No, thank you so much. That's every question I had, and Thank you so much for agreeing to come on. It's been really fascinating. And I've actually scribbled down some notes for me to take back from, to work from this. So I really Absolutely. appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. And for those listening, you're welcome to check out the GitLab handbook. The shortcut is allremote.info. Feel free to connect with me on Twitter or LinkedIn. Love to keep the conversation going. I'm Darren Murph. Brilliant. And for anyone listening, I will pop all of those links in the show notes for you. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Godspeed. Have a great day.